and welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. It's me, Lindsay Hooper, back to bring you all the latest from another bumper week in women's football, which saw the following happen. A top-of-the-table merry-go-round as Manchester City, Arsenal and Chelsea all held the number one spot at some point on Sunday afternoon. A scrap down the bottom of the league as four teams were all in search of their first win of the season. And the announcement of a Merseyside derby on Anfield's hallowed turf for the very first time. In the studio with me today, it's a very big hello to Matt Davis-Adams, commentator, and I have to say, podcast marathon king, especially today. (laughs) Certainly today, yeah. Hi, Yeah, hi. How are you? All right, thanks. Yeah, looking forward to um, talking more football, which has been what I've been doing all day. Yes, and you do the same as me. You split yourself between men's and women's. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's a nice split to have. A man as well who was meant to be in the studio with us, but he isn't. He's joining us via the, the phone line at the moment because of the British transport system. It's Rich Laverty. Hello, Rich. Hi, Lindsay. Rich is a prolific women's football writer, the media man as well at Sheffield United Women. Uh, thank you for joining us again. And Rich, I see that you were at Sheffield United. So how did that look yesterday? Frustrating, to be honest. Um, I think when you get on such a good run, it's sort of more difficult to take when you start dropping points. Um, it's been a difficult week in terms of losing to Villa last week and then, yeah, drawing yesterday. But it could have been worse. Obviously, Aston Villa drew as well. So it's kind of as things stand. So it's frustrating that we didn't close the gap when we had a chance, you know, to go a point behind them, but also not frustrating that we haven't lost more ground. Um, we didn't play well enough first half. Second half, we were better and we probably should have won it in the end. We just gave ourselves a little bit too much work to do, but that happens. It's a competitive and strange league, the championship. It, it sort of mimics the, the men's championship a little bit. You enjoying your media role there as well, because I, I saw that you announced on social media earlier that hasn't Sheffield United women, have they got something like 10,000 followers now? On Instagram, yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. So uh, is that like one of the targets that you'd set when you when you took over there? No, we just we didn't set out specific targets. We just wanted to create more engagement. It's been fun. You know, I enjoy writing and, you know, I enjoy being a journalist, but there's a lot to be said for sort of working with a team of people and, and a group of players who particularly at Sheffield United, they're very engaging with social media. You know, it's a very young squad, so they've grown up around social media. And it kind of makes my life quite easy, to be honest mm. with you. So It's just nice being in sort of that team environment, really. Um, yeah, it's good. And the engagement always high in the women's game, Matt. You were at Rush Green yesterday and West Ham certainly in the same sort of situation as Sheffield United wanting to grow all the time. Yeah, really impressive the way they're doing it as well, I think. Um, Been particularly taken by this United against breast cancer campaign that they're doing with the pink shirts this month. Yes, I've seen that. That's a really good way of engaging with supporters too. But yeah, it was a fabulous game. In terms of standout performers there, because I found when I've watched West Ham week on week, it's been a different person. Was it the same for you again this time? Yeah, I think, to be honest, they were most impressive defensively and and Brooke Hendricks was the player who really caught my eye, kind of been in and out at the start of the season. But I think I counted six blocks that she made, just throwing herself in front of the ball, doing everything she could to try and stop Chelsea scoring. Um, Jilly Flatty, similarly, obviously she's got added motivation when she plays Chelsea. But yeah, Hendricks really, really stood out, I thought. Brilliant. Well, we'll get on to more of that now. So as we've already touched upon there, some heavy hitting clashes in the WSL this weekend and they didn't disappoint at all. We'll get straight into the action. Uh, Let's start with Meadow Park, I think, first of all. Arsenal 1, Manchester City 0. 
So Arsenal hosted league leaders Manchester City, who came into this one with the only 100% record in the WSL after winning their opening four matches. But thanks to a first-half goal from, of course, none other than Vivian Miedemar, that record came to an end. Left the little here, who spotted the runner, Vivian Miedemar! Clinical. Vivian Miedemar gets her first-ever WSL goal against Manchester City. Well, after that defeat by Chelsea last time out, this result was exactly what Joe Montemurro's side needed. The Gunners are imperious at home. They've been so impressive. They've lost just one of their last 26 WSL games at Meadow Park. So first of all, there was a lot of talk as to whether Vivian Miedemar would actually be fit for this one. Uh, of course, she was. Ballon d'Or nomination too. Yeah, and she's so crucial, isn't she, to, to the way they play. And, and it was actually a pretty attritional game from what I saw of it. Not, not like a, a free-flowing match, which maybe you would have expected between these two, but maybe that was because of the importance of the game. Chances pretty thin on the ground, other than Jordan Nobbs had a couple late on, didn't she, which she probably should have scored at least one of. But that's the thing that having somebody like me Demar in your team gives you. If you've got that ruthless striker in front of goal and... City will be hoping that Ellen White can prove to be that for them, having come off the bench and made a debut here. But they just look a little bit toothless at the moment. Yeah, a word as well on Danielle van der Donk. Uh, she is such a creative player for them. She bossed the game again, spoke to OffsideRulePodcast.com editor Tom Dean afterwards, and this is what she had to say. It was very important to win this one. We lost against Chelsea and we can't really lose too many times, so... Uh... Yeah, give us ourselves for the Chelsea one. So we needed to win today. It was just important. And I'm happy we got the three points. I think if I'm right, you haven't dropped points here since January. So, yeah, like you say, you go on the road to Chelsea, yeah. you, you lose. But then coming back here, it must be really encouraging to come back here and know that, you know, chances are you're going to win. <laughs> yeah, well, we know that we lost uh, lost two times uh, last year. So you can't really lose many times in this league. It's always very, very close. Um, so, yeah, every game is very important. Um Everyone put a lot of pressure basically on the Manchester City game because it's a bit of a high standard game. But even if we play Brighton or whoever, it doesn't matter. You always need to win, actually. Was Joe doing anything differently with you this week to get you prepared for a game like a high standard game, like you said, against Man City? Not really. We just got a normal training week, which we didn't have for a while because we got Champions League and everything. So it's been very busy, and this time we just got a nice training week. So it was a bit, it was a bit more tactical, but. It's actually, it should be normal, but it was different because we're always playing games. And obviously Vivian got the goal for you today, as is often the case. Yeah. Uh, what's it like playing with someone like her who can just score goals for, for fun, basically? Yeah, it's just, she's just a top-class striker, and that's what you need in a team. Um, yeah, she just gets a lot of air like you can breathe with her in the team and it's just nice that she, that she steps up in these games and uh, scores is she the best in the world striker definitely yeah yeah Well, there you go. Danielle has spoken, calling Miedemar the best striker in the world. Would you agree with that, Richard Laverty? Because you're compiling the top 100 footballers for the offside rule in The Guardian as we speak. So you know better than most. Oh, it's tough. I think it's definitely between her and probably put Sam Kerr and, and Ada Hegerberg in there, really, as the top three. I think <sighs> my personal preference just leans towards Sam Kerr at the minute, but it's hardly a criticism of Miedemar to say that. I think she's fantastic and the goals that she's scoring. And not just that, the goals she's creating as well. You know, she's she really... I think we talked about Beth Mead last year and how many assists she got. I think Miedemar yeah. was only 
behind. I think she's got four assists this season. So nearly every Arsenal goal she's involved in some way or another. We mentioned last week on the podcast about Mannion being out for City and how much of a, a gap that would leave behind in their defence because ACL injuries, you know, it's going to be some time that she's going to be absent. Did that play a big part, did you think? Yeah, it, it looked like it. But, you know, you, you've got to come up with a solution for that, haven't you? And you'd think that City, with the resources they've got and the squad that they've got, would be able to do that. But it just seems like something's not right with them at the moment and you know certainly over the last couple of weeks they're in a difficult position in the Champions League and didn't offer too much in this game so yeah Nick Cushing's got to come up with a with a solution for that problem because as you say Mannion's very unlikely to play a game this season I would imagine. You touched on it the debut of Ellen White that eventually has happened her first competitive appearance for Manchester City since her six goals for England at the World Cup and we got to speak to her after. It's been a long time coming um, and uh, yeah, no, I'm really pleased to get some minutes and um, yeah, it's hopefully the first of many to come. So yeah, it's been, it's been a long kind of three months, but um, yeah, I'm pleased to, to have actually made my debut now. I'd love to contribute as, as much as I can this season. We've got a lot of games um, and we've got a big one on Wednesday against Atletico. So for us, we just need to recover and get ready for that one really. So, um, but yeah, I'm going to train as hard as I can and, and hopefully try and contribute to the team. So yeah, I came to this team because we've got very talented players, individuals and a very talented squad. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm pleased with, with who's contributed to goals at the moment and, and any way that I can contribute to the team will, will be a bonus. Um, but for now, it's just you know, working hard training and trying to get some minutes and build my minutes up and, and try and make more appearances for this team throughout the season. So, uh, yeah, we'll be working hard and, and hoping for uh, some success this season. You're listening to the Offside Rule, WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media. So, Rich, do you expect her to be a success at Manchester City? I can't see a way in which she's not, to be honest with you. The form that she was in for England in the summer, the form that she was in for Birmingham, the last couple of years, she's just a prolific striker. She just knows where the net is. And I think Matt touched up on it there. They look and have looked toothless. Uh, but yeah, Nick Cushing must wonder why Manchester City gets so many injuries. I mean, I don't know whether it's bad luck or something else. But, you know, aside from Aoife, obviously, they've, they've really not had any strikers all season. Lauren Hemp got injured. George Stanway got injured. Ellen didn't play until yesterday. I think even Paulina Bremer had a few games out. So... It's going to be interesting to see how they look now that those players are back. You know, you'd expect Ellen to be starting quite soon. George Stanway's back. They need to start creating chances. I think if Ellen's fit and firing, it will make a huge difference then because Man City are they're just an efficient team. When everyone's fit, it works. But once one or two players drop out, you know, the results, as we've seen the last week or two, quite quickly go downhill. On to the game that you were at next, Matt, then. So West Ham won Chelsea 3, a London derby at Rush Green, as Chelsea did show their class and eventually won comfortably against the Hammers. It was West Ham, though, who took the lead through Adriana Leon, who netted with her first touch after coming off the bench just 10 seconds earlier. However, Emma Hayes' side responded emphatically with goals from Sophie Engel, Drew Spence and this stunning strike, as you can hear it from Jiso Young. Here's she. She's going to go for it from range. Oh, my goodness me. have turned this game around in the space of little more than a minute. That is a spectacular goal. And that was the very dulcet tone of Matt Davis-Adams. <laughs> what you. do you do coming back off yourself? 
this must be an unusual territory for you. No, I'm quite an egotist, so I enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> um, you could hear, couldn't you, the vocal support from the Chelsea fans there. Was it great atmosphere? Yeah, it was. There was a, a sort of hardy band of Chelsea supporters who were right behind the dugouts and, yeah, they made themselves known throughout. And that, that positivity was something that Emma Hayes has touched on um, a couple of weeks ago, actually, after they beat Arsenal. But it was really helpful because Chelsea was so wasteful in the first half. You know, they should have been 3-0 up at half-time, at least. And having gone behind, you you wondered if it was going to be one of those days, but they responded so quickly. I mean, the, the Leon goal was amazing because she literally had just stepped onto the pitch and then scored. And <laughs> she looked as shocked as, as everybody else. But the response was... Not instant, but pretty swift from Chelsea. And, and what was really impressive that was that once they got the equaliser, which was a good goal from Sophie Ingle, it was a minute, a little bit more than that, before they went in front um, with that goal from G that we just heard, which was just, I mean, sort of classic G, really. And, and she'd had one of her quieter games. Um, but there's a ruthlessness about Chelsea, which as soon as they got the equaliser, you didn't think that anything else was going to happen other than they would win the game. And obviously they got the third goal late on too and and you looked at the two benches and West Ham had only named four subs only three outfield players and Chelsea were able to bring on Frank Kirby and Drew Spence who combined for the final goal and that just told you everything you needed to know about the two squads really. Definite strength in depth there. I do agree with you though having watched Chelsea quite a lot this season I think that they are wasteful at times but still getting these brilliant results I mean it speaks for itself an unbeaten streak in WSL that now stretches 24 straight games without a defeat on the road in terms of flagging up about West Ham and and how they raise their game against the top sides usually was it a case here when you were watching that they did that but it just wasn't good enough against Chelsea or were they not quite at the races I'm not sure that they raised their game but they had a very obvious plan to get as many players behind the ball as possible for as long as possible so that Chelsea find it very difficult in the first half to move them around and create any space and, and at any time they got anywhere near the penalty area there'd be seven or eight West Ham players in there for them to get through I mentioned Brooke Hendricks earlier her and Flaherty were particularly impressive um, but they struggled to find an outlet up front I thought and Martha Thomas was, was pretty anonymous in the game which was a bit disappointing but defensively I was very impressed with them just maybe um, lacked a little bit of something up front Most people mentioning the fact that Arsenal and Manchester City who are also in this title race have European football they have Champions League to contend with uh, Rich we might as well get your two pennies worth on this um, do the Blues have an advantage then because they don't have European football I think it is an advantage yeah and with the squad that they've got you know I think they've got a bigger squad than, than any of their rivals in terms of the players like Matt said there you can bring on when you've got Frank Kirby on the bench and Drew Spence on the bench and some other weeks it's G some other weeks it's Beth England they've got an, an immense strength in depth so it should help them, yeah. Like you said, they've got to start being more clinical, though. That's been an issue for probably far too long now for Chelsea, given that the strikers they've got available to them. Next up, and we predicted this one, we thought it was going to be a Manchester United home win. It was Manchester United 2, Reading 0. They met for the very first time in the league and it was the home side who came out on top thanks to goals from Kirsty Hansen and Jess Sigsworth who answered me because I said, was she going to get more goals? And then she just went and did it. Uh, friend of the show, Robin Cowan, sent this match report through. 
This was a game where Manchester United carried out Casey Stoney's tactical plan to the letter. Up against an established Women's Super League side, they defended doggedly and were clinical when it mattered. They started on the front foot and they could have easily been 1-0 up before Kirsty Hansen put them ahead after 16 minutes. A really well-taken volley. The second half was not a great watch at times, but it was credit to United. They made it scrappy and they barely allowed Reading a sniff at goal. The only chances coming from United's own errors. Reading went more direct, but United stood firm. And in Millie Turner, they seem to have a defender in the manager's image. She does the basics so well and she makes it look so easy. Jess Sigsworth's breakaway goal late on sealed the win. A nice composed finish from the substitute to wrap up United's third Women's Super League win on the spin. Reading, I think, will continue to frustrate this season as they did last year, still yet to find a real consistency. And when Farrell Williams and her dead ball deliveries aren't as on point as they are usually, they do tend to struggle. The main takeaway, though, Manchester United look a force to be reckoned with, particularly their defence. They conceded just two goals in the league so far. They aren't going to be giving teams an inch at the back this season. Robin there kindly talking through how defensively solid United were looking. Uh, that's now four wins on the bounce. Four clean sheets for Man United in all competitions. Only once in WSL history have a newly promoted side won three or more in a row. They look pretty good, don't they, Rich? They do, to be honest. I mean, I actually thought Manchester United would do quite well this season, but they've even surpassed what I thought, to be honest with you. you know, They really competed against Man City. They competed against Arsenal. They could easily have got something. And then, like you say, four wins, four clean sheets. You know, they're clinical up top. The midfield's unbelievable. The midfield is fantastic. And they're solid at the back. And if you're not giving goals up, you know, you're going to win games. So if it continues, I was pretty confident they would be in that fourth place this season. But if they carry on, you know, maybe they will get higher. We'll see how it goes as the season prolongs. But I'm pretty certain they will end up in that top half. In a post-match interview, manager Casey Stoney, Matt, actually said that she felt United won ugly. But is she playing that down? Because, as Rich mentioned there, the fact of how solid they look defensively and well-organised, it might not be as pretty on the eye all the time, but they're still very, very well ushered. Yeah, I think she's experienced enough to know that she needs to keep her players' feet on the ground, and that's a good way of doing that after after what's a good win. And, and you know, from what I saw, they were, they were well worth the three points too, but... I think United and Spurs have they've really already added a lot to the league this season and they they've ruffled feathers like you know they both got good wins this weekend but it's made everything much more competitive and it's a massive boost to have them in and not because of the stature of what you what you would perceive the stature of the clubs to be but actually because of how competitive they've been so far which makes things much, much better for the league as a whole, I think. Since those opening two defeats in the league to Manchester City and Arsenal, you'd say that Manchester United have become the team in form since then. Let's rattle through some of the other scores then. Birmingham City 2, Liverpool 0. Bottom of the table clash this one, as Liverpool, who had one point going into this, travelled a pointless Birmingham. Not a pointless team, but pointless <laughs> in terms of table and points. Uh, it was Blues who came out on top. First goals of the season from Lucy Staniforth and Keris Harrop. It was also a day to remember as well for Keris because she actually got a record 130 WSL appearances and that's put her ahead of the likes of Jill Scott, Gemma Bonner and Steph Horton. So we thought it appropriate to get her back on the show after a couple of weeks. No maple syrup talk this time. Producer Lucy spoke to her earlier. Looking to lift this over 
the two-player wall. Find a head and it goes in and Birmingham City have taken the lead and it's Harrop's header that goes past Francis Kitching. A lovely free kick, found the head of the Birmingham City captain and it's Birmingham City 1, Liverpool 0. Right, Keris, not a bad way to mark your record 130th appearance, hey? Yeah, no, I was really pleased. Um, I don't score many goals as a defender, so I was uh, pleased to get on the score sheet yesterday. And yeah, being as it my, as my 130th cap, it was nice to top it off with a goal. It's nice to kind of be sat at the top, and it's yeah, it's definitely something I think about. You know, it's quite an achievement, really. You know, and hopefully I can hold on to that that record. I've just got to make sure I, uh, I touch wood, stay injury free, and can continue to to play every game. Well, yeah, obviously I want to play every game, every week regardless. But yeah, I think when I get reminded of it, it's uh, it's quite a cool thing to say I'm uh, leading the way so far. Just how important was that, getting that first victory of the season yesterday? I think it was massive, yeah. I think um, obviously we were, we were bottom of the league with no points. So we knew going into the game, if we got the win, it would move us up the table, um, you know, based on what the other teams were going to do in the league. But yeah, just really pleased. It's kind of a relief just to finally... Um, get some points on the board and hopefully we can continue that now. When we talked to you a couple of weeks ago, you said how things were really starting to look up. Two victories since then. Does it feel like things have finally start to click after, as you say, a tricky start to the season? Yeah, I think so. I think you know, we had a lot of change over the summer. A lot of players going and new girls coming in. So it was always going to take time to kind of gel. You know, things like that aren't just going to click straight away. So it looks like now... Um, you know, things are starting to, to click into place and we're starting to gel a lot more as a team. And your manager, Marta, said yesterday that we can expect things to get better and better for you. Have you got a target now for this season, reassessing now that you've got to this point? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we've got Man City uh, next week in the Continental Cup and we're, uh, we're top of that league. So we're top of uh, the Continental Cup league, but well, we were bottom, so it was quite a weird situation to be in. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we want to obviously do well against Man City and, and carry on um, with our good form in the, in the cup competitions. And yeah, you talk about that trip to City, a 3-0 defeat in the league when you visited there a couple of weeks ago. Lessons learnt from that game? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, as a team, we reviewed the game and, and knew we weren't up to our best uh, level. So, um, yeah, definitely going for revenge on Sunday. And I think it's, it's good that for us that, you know, Man City have had a, a couple of bad results over the last two games. So, I think we've also having two good results. Hopefully it'll make the contest a little bit more even this time around. There's a lot of talk about the merits of the cup. You know, Emma Hayes wants it scrapped. She's very clear about that. As a player, how do you feel about the competition? Yeah, I think it's a good thing to have. Like We don't have many teams in our league. So I think overall throughout the season, we don't really play that many games if you compare it to the men's leagues. Um, and as well, it's another chance for silverware, isn't it? So I don't see why as a team you wouldn't want to have a competition where you can win some silverware so I think overall um, for most of the teams in our league they'd agree that you know it's a good competition to have because you know if teams for example you know get knocked out of the FA Cup early then they've got really, they haven't really got anything to play for so I think the the more cup competitions you can have the better really. Thanks very much to Karis Harrop for giving up some of her time there. Well, whilst on the topic of Liverpool, we should take the opportunity as well to mention the news that we're going to see a Merseyside derby for the first time hosted at Anfield. Uh, that's more great news for the league, isn't it, Rich? It is. I do hope that we can start building on it, though, because I think that as good as these are, you know, I went to the derby at the Etihad and 
you know, we saw West Ham play at the Olympic Stadium. We've got Tottenham coming in a few weeks. We're just not quite, like Casey Stoney said this the other week, you know, we're just not seeing a long-term benefit. Kind of the attendances are just going back to normal. And I think we've got to find a way somehow. I don't know how, but we have to find a way of maintaining it and not allowing the attendances to drop because they're great days. You know, obviously we got Women's Football Weekend coming up where, you know, we've got two games already in, in big stadiums, major stadiums. It's great that Anfield's hosting for the first time, but I, I just want to see it kind of maintained and, you know, mm. Manchester City went back to their CFA against Birmingham. I think there was 1,800 there and you think, well, you know, there was 31,000 at the Etihad, so why is that not translating when the stadium is literally across the road? Yeah, that is true. I, I think if anyone had the answer to that, they would be very rich right now in the women's game. Uh, the same day that that is happening, it's also, as you mentioned, another big stadium because Tottenham will be hosting Arsenal. That's going to be a game that Kate and I will be going to. Um, well, let's bring it back round to Liverpool then because we were talking on a, on a podcast a few weeks ago about how, I think it was Claire Rafferty that was giving us some insight as well, um, that you know different clubs choose different fixtures to try and do those matches. And ideally, you choose a team that you think you're going to beat because if you're going to try and get thousands and thousands through the gate, you want to put all the marketing around a, a fixture like that. But for Vicky Jepsen at Liverpool, how does she go about that at the moment? Because it doesn't feel like this team are going to beat anybody. I mean, Everton have been pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, that's it. So the other thing that you do is you, is you get a game against your major rival because that will guarantee you to get people in and then you hope that you don't lose. But for me, there's a definite synergy between the clubs that have a reasonable amount of backing from the men's team and the ones that don't and then the respective positions in the league and and I don't see much joined up thinking between Liverpool the WSL team and Liverpool the Premier League team in the way that you do with Manchester City and Chelsea and I think until that happens then Vicky Jepsen's always going to be behind the eight ball I know they went on pre-season tour didn't they with mm. the um, with the men's team but it feels like that was maybe a bit of a token effort rather than the start of actually building a proper relationship together which would also make it more meaningful when the women's team play in the men's stadium and her hands seem pretty tied it feels at the moment you know people could maybe target some of the criticism at her but I think that would be completely unfair considering what she's had to take on there yeah, and you know she's a rookie manager herself, and if you've not got a strong squad, then this is what's going to happen, unfortunately. And and a lot of teams were able to not hide behind, but but Yeovil were useful for a lot of teams. I think last season in in WSL in hiding the deficiencies that other sides have, and, and without them, and as we mentioned, with the two promoted sides being so strong, it's definitely brought it into focus. The inadequacies that, that teams like Liverpool have got in terms of their backing and teams like Brighton have got on the pitch, for example. Let's shine a light on the other side of Merseyside then. Everton 2, Brighton 0. They both came into this meeting on the back of consecutive defeats. Uh, it was deserved 2-0 victory, though, for Everton. Chloe Kelly, who we've mentioned, of course, before, because she has got those shooting boots on this season, got on the score sheet again. Her fourth goal in five WSL games. What a season she's having. Um, and also, it's the first time ever that the Seagulls have gone three WSL games on the road without even scoring. So they fail to score now in seven of their 12 women's Super League away games concerning? Yeah, it is. I've seen Brighton 
twice this season. Both times they're at home, actually. When they drew with Chelsea, which was more about Chelsea not being on top form than Brighton being brilliant. And then a couple of weeks ago when they were pretty convincingly beaten by West Ham on their own patch. And I just don't see where goals are coming from for them. And the worrying thing is usually expect a, a Hope Powell team to be really sort of obdurate and difficult to score against. And that doesn't seem to be the case at the moment either. So if they're not scoring goals and they're conceding them, that adds up to a troubling season. Finally, Bristol City 1, Tottenham 2. On last week's show, we were joined by Spurs midfielder Rachel Furness. Uh, she told us that they'd already learnt plenty of lessons from their time in the WSL so far. It looked like they'd learned from those and put them into practice. Two stunning goals in the space of two minutes from summer signing Kit Graham. And that saw Karen Hillside come from behind and beat them 2-1. So, Rich, what were your reactions to that performance? I've been just really impressed with Spurs this season. You know, we obviously we all talked about Manchester United coming up, and because of that, Tottenham didn't get much of a mention. But they've recruited so well. I mean, we went there in March with Sheffield United, and we beat them. So it shows how much they've improved. You know, the players that have stepped up from the Championship, but you know, the players that have come in, they've brought in players like Gemma Davison, Chloe Peplo, you know, Becky Spencer, you know, proven WSL players, and. You know, Kit's been one of the best. You know, Kit's had a massive rise. She was with Charlton in in the Women's National League, you know, 18 months ago and then came into the championship, did really well. And she's just massively stepped up to to the WSL. And some people might have said Tottenham were maybe one of the teams that were going to be down there. But on the evidence we've seen so far, I think they are, you know, well on their way already to being a mainstay in the league. They've been really, really impressive. Well, here's what all of those results mean. Chelsea have moved top of the WSL on 13 points, with Arsenal and Man City just a point behind. Man United stay fourth thanks to their third win on the bounce, level on points with Everton and fellow newly promoted side Spurs, who we've just mentioned. Down at the wrong side of the table, Liverpool's loss at Birmingham extended their winless start as the Reds slipped to the bottom of the table and Brighton and Bristol City also remain winless after the first five rounds of games. The league now takes a break as Cup and International Football does take over, but it will be back with a bang for the Women's Football Weekend on the 16th and 17th of November. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Knees Media. The Champions League is back in midweek, so we want to discuss that next. We've got a round of 16 second leg action to look forward to with Man City and Arsenal both vying to put their place in the quarterfinals. Now, Man City head out to Atletico Madrid with all to play for from that game because 1-1 was the result in the first leg. A very dangerous away goal there. So Nick Cushing's side, are they going to be able to bounce back from yesterday's disappointment, do you think? Um Actually, I don't. I'm, I'm just looking at Atletico Madrid's recent form and it's excellent 4-1 win for them in their most recent game. They won the other match that they played since the first leg too. The away goal, as you say, obviously really important for them and they've got experience of having beaten City last season, of course. I think it's a really, really difficult task for City. A lot easier, you'd think, for Arsenal when you go into a tie and you're 5-2 up with Slavia Prague. Uh, the Gunners are going to be on a high as well after winning against City. Do you see any reason, Rich, for them to be worried going into this? Uh, no, I don't, to be honest. <laughs> we didn't uh, think so. Yeah, do you need any more than that? Um, <laughs> no, I think, you know, to, to score the amount, you know, they, they should be expected to get through that. And I'm sure they were disappointed to let those couple of goals in. But yeah, I think Arsenal will be absolutely fine. 
And a mention as well for Glasgow City, who have a 2-0 lead over Bromby. Uh, we spoke to Scottish football expert Chris Marshall last week. He gave us some brilliant insight about the development of the women's game north of the border and the impact that the World Cup had had up there. So we're a big fingers crossed from everyone at the Offside Rule for the crowd that will be attending that one. This is the Offside Rule WSL edition with me, Lindsay Hooper, Matt Davis-Adams and Rich Laverty. It's back to the Continental Cup then this weekend. Emma Hayes' favourite competition, of course. We're very well versed in that now. Uh, do you think we'll see some smiles from her on the sideline? Uh, four, maybe. They're away at Lewis, aren't they? I mean, I'm with her, to be honest. I think I can see the point that she's making about you know, the long gaps between league games have, have always been a problem. But the format of this competition makes no sense to me at all. I think it being the second domestic cup competition, it should just be straight knockout. The one thing that we do know, though, is it's happening. So we might as well run through what is happening. Uh, the the fixture that you just mentioned, Lewis against Chelsea, is on Saturday. Also on Saturday, Aston Villa hosts Liverpool. Sunday, a busier day of action. Durham hosts Coventry. And then this is Rich's team. We'll bring him in. Sheffield United against Blackburn. So what do you think for this one? It'll be a tough game. You know, Blackburn have improved a lot since the start of the season. We played them last month. Um, over there, we won 3-2, but it was a very... Close match. They pushed Aston Villa all the way as well in the league game. They beat Durham the other week. So, you know, we won't be taking them lightly. And I think, you know, especially after the two results we've had in the last week or so, there'll be extra effort to bounce back because our group in particular is wide open, absolutely wide open between any of the teams. Um, So we need to win and Blackburn need to win. And, you know, the Aston Villa-Liverpool game is going to be really interesting as well. There's also Brighton versus Arsenal, London Bees versus Charlton, Everton hosts Man United. You'd think, given the league form recently, that that could be quite tasty, Matt. Yeah, I mean, obviously the thing you're never quite sure of, um, particularly in this competition, is which, you know, if if people are going to go with their strongest lineups. But that's a really interesting looking game on paper, definitely. Um, Yeah, that would probably be my pick of the standout ties, actually. And a final three, Man City against Birmingham, Crystal Palace against Spurs and Reading hosting West Ham. That's a brief look at the Conti Cup fixtures covered and we will bring you all the reaction to those games on next week's show. The final word goes to this year's Ballon d'Or nominees who were announced last week. Two WSL-based players are on the list. Arsenal's Vivian Miedemar, who we talked about earlier, and Manchester City's Ellen White, you'd think because of her heroics at the World Cup. Is Megan Rapino, first of all, a shoe in for this? Are we even bothering looking at the longer list? I'm going to start with Rich, I think. Uh, she probably is. She wouldn't be my winner. But, you know, we know how these awards work. Um, it's kind of more what you say, what you do in the big games rather than probably across the whole 12 months. And maybe some people will say that's how it should be. You know, if you do perform on the biggest stage, maybe you're a worthy winner. But for me, there's players in there that have done more over the course of this year than than Rapino has overall. Who, who would your winner be then? I'd be looking at Sam Kerr. I'd possibly be looking at Henri, Amandine Henri at Lyon, maybe even Miedemar. You know, I think you look at those three players, there's no question they've done more across the whole year, but, you know, Rapino did more at the World Cup. So it just depends what people look at. But, you know, Rapino's played, I think, three league matches in the whole of 2019. So... You know, beyond the World Cup, there's not a huge amount to go on for her. But, you know, she did perform on the biggest stage. She scored those five goals in the knockouts and that will sway a lot of people. But for me, I'd probably say Henri, to be honest with you. I think she's the best midfielder in the world. 
she's playing for the top team, one of the top nations. And to be honest, you very rarely see her have a bad game, but she won't win it. As expected, a lot of Leon players on this list. Matt, anybody else that you would go for other than a Leon player? Mm, yeah, the ones that I was just looking at are all Leon players. I mean, I think we are talking about Rapino being the winner. I am. And Ellen White's got a good chance of being in the top three. Certainly, I think. Uh, it, again, it depends if if we're if we're going on World Cup form or, or domestic form, I suppose. But yeah, I think. Uh, Miedemar and White are definitely worthy nominees and actually Miedemar's got a good chance of being in the in the top three as well but as Rich says it's it's whether it's about purely what happens on the pitch or, or what you take into account away from that as well so yeah Rapino's going to take some stopping I think Away from football you cannot critique though can you the, the way that she speaks her speeches are so captivating and she is very eloquent and probably doing a lot more for things away from football as much as she's doing on it which is great. So I would say that is all fabulous and give her an award for that, but don't give her the award for being the best player in the world in this year if that's if that's not what she is. And if that's not what she is, do you think it undervalues it, Rich? Possibly, but, you know, people, like you say, hear those things and see those things and people vote. You know, some people vote based on reputation and I think the biggest issue with women's football is still that lack of worldwide TV coverage. You know, people see the World Cup, but, you know, I mean, I've covered women's football a long time, but I, I can sit here and say I've seen Leon, you know, probably two or three times this season. Same with most NWSL teams. You know, the coverage for most people around the world still isn't there to actually have a proper opinion on these players. Whereas in the men's game, you turn on any channel and there will be. Premier League, you know, Liga, La Liga, Serie A, you know, Brazilian football, Australian football. You can watch whatever you want and see whichever players you want. So I think until there's more worldwide exposure away from the bigger tournaments, these things are still going to be decided on, you know, what people hear about. The one thing that you can guarantee, though, that has happened in the last 12 months is that whoever is hosting the awards will have been given a brief, do not ask the winner to dance or do anything ludicrous. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> What do you reckon? <laughs> to be honest, I'm all up for hearing somebody ask Megan Rapino if she could twerk or not, because I think she'd give a very different response to what Ad Hegerberg did. Yes, that is very true. Uh, that is all we've got time for for this show. There has been a lot to get through. Uh, we're back again on Thursday with the Offside Rule podcast. This week, it's an Offside Rule exclusive. I've been along to interview Bobby Zamora this morning before coming here. So um, Lucy's going to have a busy job editing all of that together, and we'll get that out on Thursday. Uh, you don't want to miss it. Don't don't forget as well, we're on Twitter and Instagram at Offside Rule Podcast. Matt, thank you very much. Rich, down the phone line, thank you. No worries, thank you. Matt, I'm sure I'm going to hear you on another podcast somewhere soon. Yeah, you will. Double duty for me today and back with the Totally Football League show on Wednesday too. And for you listeners, see you same time, same place next week. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com. And for more from the Offside Rule, head to our website, offsiderulepodcast.com. <laughs>